Hey, thank you for listening. Did you know I have a YouTube channel? I have over 130 different videos. I have videos with more scary stories told in the rain, scary stories by a crackling fire, and I also have videos that are less relaxing and more on the scary side. Go check it out, and please don't forget to subscribe. In the YouTube search bar, just type being scared. All right. Catch you later. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm 22 years old, and this happened about two years ago when I was still living at my grandparents' house. This was the only scary experience that has ever happened to me, and it was a doozy. My cell phone was on the nightstand next to my bed and started ringing. It was like 3 a.m. To my surprise, the number calling me was the house phone, as in the phone downstairs. I answered thinking that maybe one of my grandparents had hurt themselves, but when I said hello, I got no response. I again said, Hello, Grandma, Grandpa. But again, nothing. That's when fear really hit me. I crept down the stairs, and they were really old stairs. They creaked. The whole house was dark, and I'd be lying if I said I wasn't petrified of what I would find. The house phone that called me was in the kitchen, and as I reached the bottom step, I was still holding my cell phone to my ear, and whoever was on the other line was still there. I could hear them breathing lightly. I walked through the living room and into the kitchen, my heart beating out of my chest. I switched on the light, and to my relief, nobody was standing there. But at the same time I realized that they must be somewhere else in the house. Or maybe the phone somehow malfunctioned and called the last number dialed or something? No, it was someone in my house. How did I know? Because suddenly they started laughing through the phone. I could tell it was a woman. It was my grandma. I ran upstairs to my grandparents' room, and it was locked. I could hear my grandma hysterically laughing through the bedroom door and through the phone. Panic hit me. I kicked the door open and immediately saw my grandpa shaking my grandma as she sat on the edge of the bed, holding the phone in her hand and laughing maniacally. I have never in my life seen or heard my grandma laugh like that, but it was horror movie material. She abruptly then stopped as she woke up. Both of my grandparents completely brushed it off and told me to go back to bed but it was so insanely scary that I almost wanted to scream at them. The next morning was like any other. My grandma made me pancakes, and when I asked her about the sleepwalking or whatever she was doing the night before, she just casually said, It happens once in a blue moon. I told her what happened exactly, beat by beat, and she responded, Oh my, that sounds so scary. Yes, Grandma. That's a freaking understatement.
One time, I drove back to college after Christmas, but before the winter break was over, so I was the first of my roommates to get back to the house that we were renting. Our house was in a pretty isolated spot on the outskirts of a town in upstate New York. I pulled into the driveway behind the house, went to the trunk, and grabbed one of my bags, and then ran inside because I had to use the bathroom so badly. I had been on the road for over five hours. I was inside the house using the bathroom for maybe five minutes. Afterwards, I went back outside to get the rest of my stuff from the car, and there were footprints in the snow all around it. Now, as I said, I was alone in the middle of nowhere. The only set of footprints should have been mine, from where I had gotten out of the car on the driver's side, walked to the trunk, and then walked to the back door. Yet now, there was another set of footprints circling the car, and then leading into the woods at the back of the property. It appeared that the footprints had originally come from the woods as well. I had left my trunk open while I was inside, because I assumed I was alone, and nothing had been taken. But someone had seen me arrive. They came out of the woods, circled my car, and then returned to the woods. I grabbed the rest of my stuff, locked my car, ran into the house, and locked the doors. Last year, the day after 4th of July, I went to my favorite lake to go fishing. Occasionally, I would take friends, but more often than not, I went alone. Unless you're fishing in the dark, nothing creepy really ever happens, and you would never expect something creepy to happen either. I went to a very specific spot on the lake where I have always had good luck catching fish. The sun was out, and it was peaceful. Nobody else in sight. That's what I really love about this lake. It wasn't too popular like some others I have been to. I was listening to an audible book when suddenly, without hearing him at all, a man floats by in a little rowboat. I looked over at him, and he is stereotypically creepy, smiling at me and didn't say a word. To break the awkward silence, I said, Hey, I didn't see you there and then let out a fake little laugh. The man said nothing and just floated by. I brushed it off as he was leaving my immediate vicinity, but was once again taken by surprise when he turned around about 20 yards away and began heading towards me again. He was rowing, so it was gradual, but man, I cannot tell you the creepy feeling that came over me. I thought for sure that he would say something this time, or do something, but he floated by and said nothing once again. I have a short temper, and I got a little pissed off and said, Do you need something, bro? He just smiled at me. After that, I had had enough. Dude, get the hell away from my boat. He stood up and continued his disrespectful stare. After just standing there looking at me like an idiotic psycho, he picked up the small anchor he had on his piece of crap little boat and tossed it behind him into the dark lake. I immediately stood up and started reeling in my line. A few seconds later I put my pole down and started my motor. I looked at him one more time before I blasted away 
and this guy was still smiling. I flipped him off and was gone in seconds. Well, that kind of ruined my mood, and I felt pissed off and creeped out, so I decided to call it a day. I have been to that lake 100 times since, and have never seen that guy again. And I better not, either. I might just punch him in the face. I have no idea what his deal was, if he was annoyed that I was fishing in a spot that he liked, or if he was picking a fight. I have no idea. Thinking back on it, though, the whole thing was stupid, and honestly, creepy as hell. About five years ago, my mom started dating a guy she met on a dating site. That part is fine. I had recently started dating this woman who would later become my wife, and we had met online. My wife and I never really liked this guy. We didn't think he was mean or anything like that. Just a little creepy. He was quiet. He kept his eyes closed a lot, and occasionally said odd things, like offering my wife a chocolate, and then popping one in his mouth closing his eyes and moaning as he let it melt in his mouth. One time my wife and I were visiting my mom, but she got called into work, so we waited at her house. Her boyfriend was over, but he spent the entire several hours just hanging out in her bedroom with the door closed. Just before Christmas, my mom and this guy started having difficulties. My wife and I were visiting her for the holidays, and she dropped all of her problems on us, and we listened carefully and told her our opinions, and suggested that she would be better off without him. She already had her mind made up, though, and decided to break up with him. On Christmas Eve. We spent the night at my mom's and got up early on Christmas morning to visit my dad at his house. We didn't plan to spend the night at my dad's, but we got snowed in, which was actually a nice Christmas surprise. The next day, we left as soon as we could get through the snow, and my wife suggested that we stop by my mom's house on the way, so that we could see if she was okay. My wife just had a really bad feeling about my mom's now ex-boyfriend. My mom's car was in the driveway, but that doesn't mean much, because she lives close enough to work that she often walks, and it hadn't snowed in her town. She also never locks her door, which drives me crazy. So we let ourselves in. That's when we see blood oozing out of the refrigerator's water dispenser. It had filled up the spill container and was leaking onto the floor and had made a puddle. My wife screamed and I freaked out. I fully expected to see my mom's head in the freezer. I nervously opened the freezer to find a bag of frozen cherries that had been opened, crammed into the freezer so that it fell onto the ice dispenser and melted. I thought my mom was decapitated by her creepy ex-boyfriend. A few years back, I lived with my mother and German Shepherd in a two-bedroom rented townhome. I got home from work one day and went about my daily routine. When it came time to eat dinner, I knocked on my mom's door to come and eat. I smelled cigarette smoke and heard her grunt a response, so I went back down and ate alone. Fast forward to about 2 a.m. I am awoken by someone holding my hand 
and gently shaking it. I immediately shoot straight up and look around. My dog, who is overly protective and sleeps with me every single night, isn't in bed. She isn't even in the room. She most definitely was on my bed when I went to sleep. I sleep with the bedroom door shut and locked. She is scratching at my closed and locked bedroom door from the hallway. Frantic, I bolt for the door, let her in, and she is searching the whole room. I'm now yelling for my mother. No answer. I force my dog to walk down the hallway with me. I still smell cigarette smoke. I bang on my mom's door. No answer. So I just open it, and she isn't even home. The bed is made, and her TV is off. My dog and I search the entire house, and nothing is out of place. All the doors and windows are still locked. I was freaked out, to say the least. The next day, I called my mom, and she told me she left early the day before to go visit my sick grandfather. Who was holding my hand that night? Your guess is as good as mine. I used to have a penchant for wandering around abandoned buildings when I was in high school. One time a friend and I decided that it would be a good idea to explore a farmstead that hadn't been in use for years. The whole experience was really bizarre. The farmstead was accessible by a long gravel road that brought you to a cluster of dilapidated buildings around a central barn. We parked at the end of the gravel road near the turnoff to the main road so we could walk around the property and just pull out quickly later. We went into the barn first, and there were deer bones arranged in a circle around the skull and a bunch of blankets and wood stacked in a corner of the room. We thought it was really cultish and weird, so we left and started walking back to the car. Halfway down the gravel road, we heard crunching heavy footsteps and someone screeching behind us, blood-curdling screeching. We sprinted back to my car and tried to peel out of there as fast as possible, but it had snowed the night prior, and my back tire was stuck in a puddle of melted snow. My friend was screaming because she was so freaked out, but wouldn't turn to look at the path behind us. By the time I had gotten the car unstuck, she turned around to see if there was someone following us, and there was no one there. It could have been a bird or something, but we both swear up and down to this day that someone was following us. I really thought I was going to die that day. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The most terrifying night of my life happened when I was 20 years old. It was the day before my mother's birthday, so I wanted to get her a few things now that I had started working and could afford proper gifts. In the afternoon, I drove into the city to shop. 
First stop was to get her a nice card, and while I was at it, a balloon that was filled at the store that said happy birthday. Next up was a gift certificate, and on my way out, I grabbed a box of chocolates from our favorite place in the mall. It was early April, so I knew the chocolate would not melt in the car. I got a call from a friend asking where I was and if I wanted to meet up with a few other guys to grab a bite to eat and to see what there was to do, and I said sure. We all met up and ate dinner and thought of things to do, but our town was so boring that we decided to call it a night and go home since it was getting late. The drive home was a 20-minute stretch that turned very dark as I got into the country. Driving on this country road always creeped me out since there was basically no shoulder and there were always animals running back and forth. It was also pitch black at night, with only your headlights providing visibility. There were a few street lamps here and there, but all in all, a dark stretch of road that was basically woods on both sides. With very little traffic, you could expect no one behind you, and that made the vehicle pitch black inside. As I was driving, I noticed someone moving in my rearview mirror. It was the dark silhouette of a person's head that slowly positioned behind me. I was instantly horrified. Fear hit me like a thousand ice-cold needles piercing my body, and my lungs felt seized. I couldn't even scream. At that young age, I rarely locked my doors simply because I never left anything of value in the car, and the car was very old with no electric locks. I never imagined someone would want to hide in my car but I instantly regretted not being more cautious and started to think about what this person wanted or what they planned on doing to me. I did not think they knew I saw them, but I began panicking as thoughts quickly raced through my mind of my throat getting slit or a gun pressed to my head. I was also ashamed and sickened at how afraid I was. This gave me enough courage to make a move, and I instantly decided to do something. In one swift motion, I yelled like a soldier running into combat and threw half my body behind me, flailing my arms to grab whoever was there. My seatbelt was buckled, so if we struggled and crashed the car, hopefully I would be okay. I was not going to let this person have the upper hand. My arms were frantically trying to grab a hold of hair or clothes or skin as I can feel the car swerving around after hitting the steering wheel with my thighs. I quickly flipped on my dome light above my head but there was no one there. My back seat was empty, except my mom's birthday gifts and the slow-moving helium-filled balloon that I had mistakenly just assumed was a human head. My grandmother and I had always been very close. She practically raised me, and our houses were five minutes walking distance from each other, so I frequently spent the night at her place. Grandma had always been a deeply spiritual person, and she taught me to never be afraid of the energies around us. I never really understood what she meant by that until one unsettling evening. In my nightgown, I made my way to her room to wish her a good night. She was already asleep, so I figured I would just go back to the living room and watch some TV until I felt sleepy. But before I could, I noticed something odd. You see, the windows in her room could only be opened from the inside, and I noticed that they were wide open. Unusual as it was, I brushed it off as her simply forgetting to close them before she went to bed. 
I slowly crept to her windows, but they suddenly shut close. I stood there for a second, trying to make sense out of the situation. The night was considerably windy, so I thought a gust of wind had been responsible for this. Even though it was a loud bang, my grandma shifted positions underneath her covers, but that was it. I backed away as to not wake her up, still facing the windows. You can imagine my face of sheer terror when seconds later, the windows flung wide open. My eyes widened when my grandma rose from her sleep, and facing the windows, she said, You should leave us alone now. We want nothing to do with you. I panicked, not knowing how or having a proper explanation. My mind just went to thinking it was somehow an intruder. So I ran to her closet and rushed outside with a flashlight and my brother's baseball bat, and yelled to whoever was bothering us to go away, because I was going to call the police. But nothing. There was nobody around, and it was impossible the intruder had already fled the scene. I surely would have seen something or someone, but then I noticed Grandma's dogs weren't barking. The night was quiet. I went back inside and my grandma had already gone back to sleep. Grandma, wake up, wake up. Aren't you scared? I asked. I told you to never be afraid of the energies, she calmly replied. I couldn't sleep a couple nights after that, and sleepovers at her place became less frequent after that night. My friend asked me if I would go to her house after work and feed her dog, as she would not be home until 3 a.m. or so. I arrived at her house at 8.30 p.m. and got the key that she had left under the mat to unlock the door. Once I unlocked the door, I turned off the alarm and put the key in a white bowl by the door, and I am 100% sure I put the key in that bowl. I fed the dog and played with him for a little while, and then went to lock up the house again and leave but the key was gone. Just then, the dog started furiously barking and ran full speed out of the kitchen and up the stairs. He just sat there at the top of the stairs growling. The feeling that came over me at the time was so strange. Eventually the dog came down after I called him and I looked for the key. It was literally nowhere. I ended up finding a spare key that worked, so I just locked the house and left. I told my friend, and she looked daily for about a week, and then one day she said she randomly saw the key sitting in the bowl. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let me preface this by saying that I realize that camping alone in the middle of nowhere isn't the smartest activity a person can engage in. I've lost count of the times that well-meaning busybodies have lectured me about it, 
But, frankly, I just don't care. You see, all of my life, I've done things that I don't particularly want to do. I went to school. I got a job. I pay my bills. Camping, the stillness and the solitude of the forest at night, gives me joy. And joy seems in short supply most days. I never felt afraid in the woods, no matter how remote. I only ever felt calm, peaceful, like I was doing what I was always meant to do. That doesn't mean that I never took precautions. There are three things that a solitary woman needs in the woods. A good first aid kit, a good compass, and a good dog. I always went out with all three, and I always thought that those things could keep me from whatever might be out there in the forest. I was wrong, of course, but just because I only ever considered the living threats. The last camping trip I'll ever take started out normally. I had planned a three-night loop through a stretch of woods I had never been to before. Due to the unfamiliar and remote terrain, and the fact that I wouldn't be following an established trail, I was only planning on hiking about eight miles a day before setting up camp each evening. That way I wouldn't ever be too exhausted to make good decisions and could generally enjoy my new surroundings more thoroughly. I loaded up my pack with all the supplies I'd need, told my parents where I'd be and when I'd return, and headed out to a part of the state that was completely foreign to me. I arrived at the forest early in the day and parked alongside a deserted stretch of gravel road. I could see no sign that the road had been driven down in quite some time, and the thought of having this whole section of woods to myself filled me with a moment of glee. That moment intensified when I opened the passenger side of my car to let Susie out. Susie was the kind of dog that provoked endless speculation about her genetic line, but ultimately she was several different kinds of mutt all rolled into one. Though not particularly intimidating to look at, Susie was loyal and protective. I wouldn't go on a hike without her by my side and she was never happier than when she was walking along with me. Susie gave me confidence that I could handle whatever the wilderness threw my way. With my pack loaded high and heavy on my back, Susie and I headed out into the woods. The route I had chosen was rugged and varied, and often I had to stop to check my map and compass. I had opted to walk along the ridgeline the first day, and found that the way was a gauntlet of loose rocks and fallen trees. There was no sign of humanity there, no empty bottles or trailblazes to pull me back into civilization. Despite the hard going, it was paradise. That evening, I set up camp at a clearing near one of the higher ridges. I turned in a bit earlier than I had originally wanted, driven into my tent by the bite of the early fall air. Susie snuggled in next to me as I zipped myself into my sleeping bag. Before I knew it, I had been lulled into sleep by the chorus of chirping night insects around me. I woke up in the early morning hours to silence. A glance at my watch showed that it was 1.45 a.m., too early to be anything other than dead asleep. The full moon above illuminated the night, and I spent several seconds watching the shadows of the tree branches dance across the top of my tent. 
It was downright cold by then, and I zipped my sleeping bag more tightly. I looked at Susie, still laying next to my body. Her eyes were open and focused on something beyond the tent. The wind must have woken her, too. I closed my eyes, hoping to fall quickly back to sleep, when I felt Susie growl against me. I murmured a reassurance. It's probably just a deer, pup. Something, though, didn't feel right. Susie wasn't the type of dog to growl at passing animals. In fact, she lived her life as though other creatures were curiosities at best, and distractions at worst. The only time I'd heard her growl like that was two years ago when a black bear came shuffling down a trail and caught us off guard. In a weird way, the thought of a bear outside the tent was a relief. My bag was hung from a tree, and bears in this part of the country weren't known to be aggressive. I stroked Susie's fur and waited for the animal to sniff around the campground, determined that we weren't that interesting, and then leave. I strained to listen, but all I could hear was the sound of Susie's growling, so low and constant that it could have been a purr. I waited for what seemed like hours, but never heard the animal outside. As the morning went on, Susie's growls turned into soft whimpers, and I let her crawl into my sleeping bag with me. The sleep that came was fitful and interrupted by strange nightmares, but the morning sunlight eventually made its way into the tent. You may be wondering at this point why I didn't turn around and walk right back out of the woods to my car and back to civilization. Well, the simple reason is that I wasn't worried, so I thought a bear came around the campsite. It wasn't that big of a deal, and besides, I'd be another eight miles away by the time night came around again. I packed myself up, had a leisurely breakfast, and set out again. The morning's hike was uneventful and beautiful, though Susie stuck disconcertingly close by me, neglecting her usual explorations and mouth ajar with anxiety. Every time I tried to pet her, she stiffened, so I let her be and continued walking on. We stopped in a quiet clearing for late lunch, more than six miles into the day's hike. It wasn't until I was packing up to leave that I noticed it. The silence was total in this clearing. No birds, no chichadas, no rustle of leaves where squirrels leapt from tree to tree. It sent a chill down my spine, and I noticed Susie watching the woods ahead. Let's get out of here, girl. She looked up at me and whined. When we arrived at the edge of the woods, I immediately saw why there were no bird songs. Their little feathered bodies lay on the forest floor, dotting the fallen leaves with reds, blues, whites, and yellows. I poked a bluebird with my hiking stick, turning it over, looking for signs of predation or illness. I saw nothing strange other than the mere fact of the lifeless body itself. I expected to need to call Susie to me. Birds were a favorite snack, but she had backed up behind me, another low growl escaping her curled lips. I stepped back to her and clipped a leash to her collar, fearing that she might run, or that I might. The woods remained dead silent. My heart had frozen in my chest, clenched tightly but somehow beating forcefully at the same time. Something was very wrong, 
and I needed to get out of this forest. I stood where I was and tried to think. I was 14 miles from where I parked my car if I went back the way I came. Given the terrain, I knew I wouldn't make it back before nightfall. I had in my pack a compass and map. I could try to map a new route, one that might take me back faster, but there was no guarantee that I could find my way before dark either. I was at the halfway point of the route, and I had to make the decision, keep going, or turn back. I thought back to the campsite the night before. Something was out there. Maybe it was just a bear, but maybe it was something else. The thought of going back to that spot to sleep made me shudder. I knew that I needed to keep going. I'd get as many miles as I could during the rest of the daylight hours, get a few hours of sleep, and then finish tomorrow ahead of schedule. I just had to make it through another night and I'd be back at my car. I steadied myself and forged ahead, Susie tense beside me, hackles raised. The miles melted behind us. There were no stops, no breaks to look at flowers or have a snack, just the constant sound of my boots striking the ground to break the unnatural quiet. Birds littered the ground, and when I came to the next clearing, I had to step carefully through a mass of bodies where a flock of starlings was downed. As I walked, I kept an eye on the trees around me, but saw no movement, only that awful stillness. Slowly the light began to fade, its rays become orange and diffuse through the leaves. I knew that I had to stop, that I couldn't keep going through the night. The tent, though made of polyester and carbon fiber, would at least allow me the illusion of security. I found a clearing, mostly devoid of dead birds, and set up camp. Susie whimpered. It's okay, girl. We'll be out of here tomorrow, I promise. I was in my tent before the sun finished its descent behind the trees, hand wrapped tightly around one of my hiking poles, and Susie next to me. Whatever was out there, I just hoped it would leave me alone. I drifted in and out of consciousness, the strain of the day overcoming me in waves before the nightmares pulled me back into the world. Susie didn't sleep at all as far as I could tell. She just lay there stiffly, every so often emitting another low growl and licking her lips nervously. When I was awake, I listened. The wind moved the branches above me, but nothing else made a sound. I mentally clung to the creaks and groans of the trees, something familiar and reassuring in this strange place. Eventually, though, that too became twisted and bizarre. The branches began to sway above me ferociously, casting shadow fingers across the top of my tent. The wind, however, sounded as if it were dying down. It was as if the branches were moving on their own. But of course, that couldn't be. I sat up in my sleeping bag, freeing my arms and drawing Susie in closer to me. The warmth of her little body and the feel of her breathing gave me comfort in the moments before we both heard it. A crunch of footfall right outside made Susie lunge for the tent door. Frantically, she began clawing at the fabric, whining and snapping her teeth. I tried to hold her still, but she was fighting me at every turn. When the fabric ripped, there was nothing I could do 
She bolted into the night. I heard her yelp seconds later, and the silence returned. Before I could even process what had just happened, the tent began to shake. The tree branches, once just shadows upon the surface, now grasped and raked against my tent, tearing gashes along its seams. I fought my way out, still clutching the hiking pole, but hopelessly aware of how little good it did. I emerged into the little clearing of my campsite, my ruined tent illuminated by a full moon. The trees were motionless, just as they should be, but I couldn't shake the feeling of being watched. The hairs on the back of my neck stood to attention, though the air was still. The only thing that I could hear was my own ragged breath and the quick percussion of blood through my ears. I backed slowly into the bark of the nearest tree, feeling totally exposed in the clearing. Minutes passed, or maybe hours, but the silence continued. Around me the shadows morphed and writhed as the moon made its way across the sky. My eyes saw things that were not there, and the cold began to seep into my bones. I could think of nothing else to do standing alone and vulnerable in the night, so I started talking, at first to myself, and then to whatever was with me. Please, I'm sorry. I choked back, giant ugly sobs. I didn't mean to disturb you. I didn't know. I'm leaving, I swear. Just one more day and I'll be gone. Please, please, please became a mantra, a point of focus for my ever-unraveling mind. Instead of looking for forms in the shadows, I instead centered my thoughts around the word, how it felt in my mouth, and how it sounded hoarser and hoarser as the night went on. By the time the gray morning light began to seep through the trees, I was numb. I was numb from fear, from cold, from grief. I was unsure if I could find the strength in my legs to hike out of this place, but I did. I left my tent where it lay in tatters and started into the woods alone. The rest of the day barely registered with me, if I'm being completely honest. I remember the silence, the feeling of being watched, and please, on my cracked lips. When I finally made it back to my car, I didn't even have the energy to cry. Some time later, when I felt well enough to revisit my experience, I looked up at the forest, this corner of nowhere, online. I read stories about the isolation in the wilderness of the forest, about logging crews who had abandoned their machinery, about how the trails had become overgrown and useless. I had seen these stories before my trip, and they excited me. The solitude of it all, the remote, rugged terrain that had driven the less adventurous away. But now I had context. I understood. The forest wasn't for me. It wasn't for any of us. And it made sure that it would always be that way.